Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we do have the word. We do know that your son Jesus Christ came to save us. We do believe the truth. And we all know people who are caught up in the bondage to the lie and to pagan ideas. And we pray that you'd equip us to help in that regard by pointing them to what you've done and what you've said. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I notice I have a verse on the title page here, and it certainly describes the situation adequately and profoundly all the way back to the time when Paul wrote Romans. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, it says in the Greek, the lie, which is the one told by Satan in the garden, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. What you need to know about the pagan worldview is the denial of the transcendence of God and erasing any boundary or distinction between the creator and the created. And I will explore the cause of this, lay out a biblical worldview, and then we shall see examples. And I brought a bunch of stuff with me that comes from neo-paganism. Now, a biblical worldview starts very simply and forthrightly in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You should see what the radical feminists and pagans do with this verse. And I ran into this, by the way, when I was in seminary. This was huge. This was a big deal. And... I had no trouble just going through the seminary library and finding radical ecofeminism. I have a paper here that's published on our, site, our website, Neopaganism and Environmental Ethics. It's under scholarly. It's the latest scholarly article. I turned that in for a paper in ethics, and I just went through, what are these people saying, and is there any ground for actually taking care of the environment based on pagan ideas? And the answer is, no, there's none whatsoever. And I proved that in my paper. So we have here God creating the world out of nothing. There's a distinction between God and the creation. God is transcendent. God is eternal. The creation is temporal and dependent on God for its existence. God is transcendent. Here's one. God is non-contingent. You've heard me say that quite a few times. We need to know this. We need to understand this word. And what this means is that God is not dependent on anything outside of himself for his existence and being and self-sufficiency. God is totally complete and sufficient in and of himself in the Trinity from all eternity. Okay? That's the biblical concept of God. The creation is temporal and contingent. God is eternal. It's impossible that the creation can be eternal just from what we know through observing the creation. The law of entropy that I studied when I was at Iowa State University shows that if the creation or the universe was infinitely old, it would already have died of heat death and wouldn't be here. So because we're here and because we can see the universe, we know it's not eternal. So the universe is contingent and not eternal. So this distinction is at the basis of a biblical worldview. We need to realize that paganism, which is the default religion of the entire world right now, does not believe this. And I'm going to show you why so many Christian churches are worthless and powerless in regard to dealing 
with this issue and helping the people that go there. Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now here we have a truth that's ultimately offensive to pagans. They hate this. Al Gore has written about it and blames the biblical worldview for the pro- what he sees as all the problems of the environment. And he thinks the answer is uh, the neo-pagan worldview. But as a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Only a biblical worldview gives grounds for any moral right and wrong or ethic, including an environmental one. And if you're interested in technical discussion of this, you can go to our cacministry.org. And the the last thing published under scholarly was this environmental ethic of neo-paganism. Notice God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. According to a biblical worldview, human beings in a specified both male and female bear the image of God. Human life is sacred. Human life is not the same as animal life. We didn't evolve. We were created. And we are created to be image bearers of God. When a Christian worldview prevailed, we saw a good reason to have moral law integrated into civil law that would protect human life. Now, it's no longer the case. As millions of abortions prove that we don't see any value, particularly in human life. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is offensive to neo-pagans. They hate this because it means that human beings have dominion over the rest of the non-human creation. And they think that's what the problem is. We have to, according to these pagans, all be one, including all the non-human creation, so there's no distinctions, and then everything will exist in harmony and work out. But what they neglect is that if there's no transcendent lawgiver to whom we're accountable, their claims that we need to do this, that, and not do the other thing are powerless. They're mute. They're needless. We don't have to listen to anybody's moral law if they're right because there's no lawgiver who will ever judge us. It's absurd, but it's what we hear constantly, constantly on the news, in the paper, paganism, paganism, more paganism. Christian churches, for the most part, are pagan, and they're not doing one thing to make it any different because they won't preach and teach a Christian worldview. Humans bear God's image. Humans are rational. We have to be to survive. This is something that I've debated when I debate the the postmoderns. They deny the validity of rationality, which is absurd because they have to use it to try to debate against it. And rationality starts with, so simply, the basic foundation of rationality is the ability to distinguish categories. A is not non-A in the same time and in the same relationship. That's the, what we need as humans to be able to do it. It covers everything, covers all of life. It's how we build houses. It's how we prepare food for the table. It's how we do our jobs. We're not creatures of instinct like the non-human creation. That offends neo-pagans. They are leeching off of what God gave them. The Al Gore's of the world are ontological leeches, claiming on one hand to be the protectors of the environment, on the other hand, 
attacking humans as created in God's image. It's blasphemous. It's wicked. And I like to know why we listen to it. Humans have rule. That's what they don't like. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Now, here's the first thing we need to get clearly established. Our firewall against paganism is the word of God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in his last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. This is distinctively biblical. God has spoken. There is a creator. He is eternal. He is transcendent. He does give moral law. He has spoken. We can know what he said, and we're accountable to what he said, and we need to have that clearly in our minds and hearts. Or we've got nothing. We're no different than the beast, the unreasoning beast. But we don't know what he said because it's not even taught anymore in churches. Too many other things on the agenda. Let's get some categories established. These will help us. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Now, if you notice here, the secret things would be spiritual things not revealed by God, the very things Satan offered when he tempted Eve and then Adam. You should be like God, knowing secret knowledge, gnosis. You'll know good and evil. You'll be like God. Why let God know things you don't know? Things revealed are revealed by his ordained Apostles and prophets, Moses and the prophets of the Old Testament, Jesus and the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. These things are given to his people, what God has said forever. And notice the things revealed are in synonymous relationship with the words of this law. What is revealed is special revelation in Scripture given by God Two people, so that we know who God is beyond what can just be known through general revelation. Genesis 2.19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to man to see what he would call them. Notice he brought them to man to see what he would call them. So here now we know Humans can make decisions. They're rational. And these decisions, not all of them are dictated by God's moral law. It's not a sin to call a pig a pig rather than a cow. Whatever Adam called them, that would be its name. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Why would I quote something like this? A lot of people think, what's the big deal about that? It's everything. Here's science. Here's engineering. Here's everything. Rationality. Because now we have the ability to name categories that are distinct from one another so you can work with those categories. And it shows the whole big picture. And what is human knowledge and science other than in various degrees, knowing more and more and more categories. I've often illustrated this by saying, what's the difference between a paramedic and a neurosurgeon in regard to somebody with a brain injury? The difference is that the neurosurgeon has many, many more valid categories to work with than the paramedic. Paramedic knows some things, but the distinction between categories that can be seen and drawn and understood are at the essence of human rationality, our ability to live and function on the earth and deal with general revelation. And these are being erased by the pagans who are either pantheists or panentheists, and their big revelation is there are no categories. All is one. All is God.
And so really, they're dumb as a bag of nails. <laughs> but not really. There may be brilliant people who are so wicked that they cut their, off their own feet and say there are no categories. So that, well, in which case, let's just close up and go home. There's nothing to talk about. I'll, I'll show you later. Ken Wilber pretty well did that. He said, well, just meditate if you can't understand all this. And when you meditate, you shut off your brain. Then there's no categories. It says in 2 Peter 2.12, but these like unreasoning beasts or animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Here, false teachers who departed from the faith and departed from the truth are likened by Peter to unreasoning animals. They're trying to live by instinct. You can't live that way. You will die. You put a human out in the woods with nothing, that person will die. His instinct won't keep you. You need to know survival tactics. You need to have tools. You need to use them. Now, moral law requires categories. Remember, God said, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for the day in which you eat of it, you shall die. Now, here you have categories. Moral law is categories. Not available, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's a sin. Available, all the other trees. There's binding and loosing in the Garden of Eden. Does that make sense? And when you throw away the categories, you throw away any kind of moral law, in which case you have chaos and lawlessness. And I mentioned 2 Peter 2.12. i got to get used to using this fade in. I don't even know that they're there. They show up. All right, here we go. <laughs> Attributes of neo-paganism. Let me explain some of these words. Panentheism means that God is in everything. There's a slight distinction between God and everything else, but not much of one. Now, pantheism, which I don't have up here, means God is everything. Polytheism has multiple gods. Most panentheists are also polytheists. Everything is God, but some things are actually a little more interesting, like Gaia or uh, some of the pagan deities. But they really don't have any ontological status. Some of this, by the way, the latest article, which was out here, it's just been published this week. If the article, I, what I did was I just took stuff. I've written about all this for 20-some years. It's amazing how much of it is on our website. And I, I just decided, instead of trying to reprove all this stuff with 100 footnotes, I'm going to tell it. Here's the practices and beliefs of neo-paganism. And that's what this article is about. Interconnectedness of all things, that's a biggie. And th that idea is, shows up in so many different ways. Jung's idea of the cosmic unconscious, the erasing of the distinction between the creator and the creation, between humans and the non-human creation. We're going to erase that boundary between male and female. They even want to erase that boundary. And pretty soon all the boundaries are erased and everything's interconnected. And you tune into this bigger whole through meditation or occult practices. The earth goddess, that's a biggie. There's this idea by this Sir James Lovelock of the Gaia hypothesis. The earth is a living, breathing being that heals itself, and it's a feminine deity, Gaia, which was a Greek goddess. There's no transcendent moral law. See, if you 
know the Bible and have been trained in the truth of Scripture and have a biblical worldview, you might wonder why you don't fit in anywhere. Okay? It's like, is everybody else crazy or am I? Well, I'm explaining what everybody else thinks. And I think you're nuts if you say there's a certain moral law of God. Well, then you're crazy. No transcendent moral law. Now, here's something that really makes this alive, and but yet really spiritually dead at the same time. When I was a young teenager in a liberal church in Iowa, liberalism was about as non-spiritual as anything you could ever run into. It was simply ideas, socialism, communism, there's no resurrection from the dead, Christ was not raised from the dead, we can't really know what the Bible means, we just have to do the best we can and the good Lord will understand. That's the liberalism that I heard. Sermons from Reader's Digest or U.S. News and World Report. And it was just this vacuous religion that we were told, don't neglect your religion. Why? What is there? It's nothing. It's worthless. They don't even believe the things they require us to swear we believe to join the church, and they don't believe it themselves. So, boom, I was out of there. But now, that was my grandfather's liberalism, although my grandfather wasn't a liberal. That was a different bygone era. That's the old modernist rational liberalism. Now we have a spiritual liberalism and occult practices and meditation is what gives spiritual energy to liberalism. It's no longer dead they can go into their altered state of consciousness and get in touch with the power of the whole universe and call it God. But it's not as demons and spirits masquerading as God, angels of light who give people a good experience to put some spiritual energy into the wicked doctrines of liberalism. Because now it doesn't matter what you believe. Everything's evolving into God. So you have occult knowledge, occult practices, communing with spirits. And so then we have general revelation, which is not forbidden. We need that. That's Adam naming the animals. That's distinguishing categories, learning your trade, learning your science, learning whatever it is you do. And that's distorted because of these perverted theories of science that makes everything relative. So now you can't even really know the creation very well because it's all distorted and perverted. So what God said is rejected. What we can learn from the creation is blurred and confused. And what we've got left is occult knowledge. What a horrible situation. Spiritual practices, what are the practices of the eco-feminists and the neo-pagans and people in general. I can't give you the whole list. I, I have a bunch of them in my paper because they get invented. There's no concrete list. It can be anything. It goes by fads. You have the crystals and the channeling of the 80s, and then you have the, la the labyrinth where you go around and get into the middle of it. There's no boundaries. It can be anything. And you can say whatever you want. That's your spiritual practice. Well, great. To the neo-pagans, God doesn't exist as a transcendent God and has not spoken. And there's no real moral law, nor is there a practice. Let me quote Sir James Lovelock, who came up with this Gaia hypothesis. Let me quote him, quote, if Mary is another name for Gaia, or what if Mary is another name for Gaia, then her capacity for virgin birth is no miracle, 
It is the role of Gaia since life began. She is the universe and conceivably a part of God. On earth, she is the source of life everlasting and is alive now. She gave birth to humankind and we are part of her. Unquote. This is just typical. I don't know what it is about me, but I have this propensity to be willing to sit down and read this stuff sentence by sentence, page by page, analyze it, categorize it, and write a paper about it. I've been doing that for 25 years. It's not fun reading this garbage. But I feel like I need to tell what they actually say. And so if I ever get a chance to debate anyone, I will have done justice to their work. So Mary isn't Mary the mother of Jesus. It's just another name for Gaia. And the virgin birth no miracle is just part of this whole big process. There's James Lovelock. So there's the Gaia hypothesis. I've said many times, Scripture alone is our firewall against paganism. The more biblically literate we are, the more we understand the meaning of Scripture, the more conversant we are in Scripture, in its meaning as determined by the original authors, inspired by the Spirit, the more we are inoculated against paganism. We won't listen to it. We won't believe it. We won't be deceived by it because we know what God has said. The first thing Satan did was question, has God said? Now, if you want to think about it, and let's just say in a national sense of America, there was a time when Scripture was known quite well by most people that went to church and most of our citizens. I don't know how long ago that was, 100 years or something like that. But gradually that capital has been spent and gone away, and we have now the biblically illiterate, not only in society in general, but in the church. Between the seeker-sensitive movement that drove the gospel and the Bible out of churches and the emergent movement, which has no definitive word from God, and all of the relativism and these theories that the reader determines the meaning, what we have is people are just absolutely vulnerable sitting ducks for paganism. And these pastors who don't think it's necessary to clearly teach the word of God, because why? Do they not understand what the stakes are? Does it not bother them that the people they're responsible for are being turned into pagans before their very eyes and they do nothing about it because they don't care? They'd rather sit like Joel Osteen and smile and fill a basketball stadium, but that's not going to keep us from being pagan. It's so bad. They can't even stand up to a biblical argument because they're not capable of doing it. And that's the leaders who's going to teach the word of God. When scripture is denied or neglected, the default position is paganism. Literally, paganism is making America stupid. And I don't apologize for saying it. I sit and watch the news and I hear what some of the people are saying. They're stupid. These are educated people with high IQs. How they get so stupid? Because they're pagans and they don't believe in categories. And so... There it all is, stupidity on display. I'll read some stuff for you later. It says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, I had Eric look at this one with me. He was over when we were doing radio. You see a parallel construction of vision and the law. Now, the wording would indicate the vision had to do with the words of God's ordained prophets, and the law there is Torah. So according to a biblical worldview, God has spoken in Torah, Moses being his spokesperson, 
and through the prophets, just as it said Hebrews 1 and 1 and 2. And if you take that away, you have paganism, unrestrained, no word from God, no clarity, no truth, no ground for making godly decisions, no ground for morals, no ground for how you raise your children. We fill it with other stuff because we don't hear what God said. Jesus said, but he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Somebody said, oh, blessed, are, talk about his family. Hear the word of God and observe it. That's who's blessed because you're not a pagan. As I said, I've had a lot of medical treatment in the last three years, and I still spend lots of hours medical facilities with met probably, I don't know how many doctors and nurses and helpers, I couldn't give you the number, dozens. And I end up, because I usually have my Greek out there and I'm working on a sermon, I end up talking to lots of them. Oh, what are you doing now? What's that? What's, why would you do that? What's that all about? So great, I shared the gospel. I've only run into one person so far that I know to be a Christian. And a, a solid one. But others who go to church even, like secret churches, are no different than all the other pagans. Paganism is the default religion. And they just don't have any critical thinking in anything other than this one specific realm of life. Now, I'm thankful for that. They know they're medical. They have to. But everything else, it's just kind of gray. It's a pagan perspective. What happens when we erase the boundaries that God has made and forget our ability to think? They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God, it says in Romans 1, 23 and 24, for an image in the form of corruptible man. And of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Let's stop right there. Remember back, let your mind go back to Genesis. God created them, male and female, in his image. and said, let them rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And, the fish. and so here you have the creation of man, male and female, as rational beings who can relate to God in love and faith and so on, and everything else. And there are clear distinctions. There's categories. But when they reject God and reject the categories and have this panentheist, God is in everything perspective, they exchange the glory of God for the image of four-footed animals and crawly creatures. There's no distinction anymore. God is in everything. Now, think about it. This was written in the first century describes what we have right now in our world. Therefore, God, what did he do? Gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them because they refused to believe in God. He let them have what they wanted. And it's a pretty ugly sight. Ecofeminism, that was on our title. This is one of the Apologies or rationalizations for why we need this new world, pagan worldview, is that Christianity is the evil in the world and it causes all the evils of the world. Christianity is rejected as a male dominated religion. Let me quote from my own paper on this that is the scholarly one that was turned in at Bethel Seminary. One of the leading feminist writers, at least of the 90s, was this Rosemary Radford Ruther. Her stuff was easy to find in the seminary library. Let me quote this, and I'm quoting me, and then I quote her. Rosemary Radford Ruther claims that the biblical creation story 
was borrowed from the Babylonians, changed to make the male god preeminent, and turned the primal mother into formless stuff. So she's saying the Bible was doctored from the Babylonians, but the real truth would be the primal mother. Back to her. She then asserts that Christianity synthesized the Hebrew account in Greek science to come up with the idea of God creating ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. She writes, quote, but the Christian philosophical theology objected to this, her idea that the Hebrew creation account did not teach creation out of nothing, possibly of the eternal coexistence of matter since it suggests a source of being parallel to God. This challenged God's absolute sovereignty. Notice that Mary Radford Ruther. What she's saying is there's always bad motives. She's deconstructing. Bad motives behind everything. These wicked Christians changed everything, got rid of the primal mother, doctored the Babylonian account, tried to save their male-dominated fire god, the father who art in heaven, Oh, yes. In fact, it got so heavy with this feminism when I was in seminary that when somebody was going to pray, everybody would just get dead silent for, to see, are they going to say father? There were people who in class said, if I must understand God as father, I will not serve him. And so they wanted to neuter God so he wouldn't offend them anymore. And so I heard one of these debates, and I was sitting in class, and I said, put my hand up. I said, why are we doing this? Because it's pointless. Well, why do you say that? Because Jesus Christ was a male person, full of human, fully God, who walked the earth, and he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, how are you going to get rid of the fact Jesus was a male person? And if you can't come to God because of a male person, you're not going to come to God. Boy, were they mad at me. (laughs) This isn't about our feelings or what we didn't like about our fathers or whatever. This is about what God said. This is eternal life or eternal damnation. This isn't something, this is a psychological game to be played. Well, I don't like men because they never treat me right, so I can't have God being the father. So we have our Rosemary Radford Ruther to help us along. History was reimagined to be her story. I had uh, Channel 2 played a series called Goddess Remembered and the Killing Fields that I recorded on VHS back in the 90s. And it's claiming that the warm, loving, nurturing, tender goddesses were always there but been suppressed by white Euro males with bad motives. And that this goddess has to be remembered and rediscovered. Well, this is, this is Channel 2 here in the Twin Cities. And on and on and on it went. And so the, the white Euro male fire god in heaven was the problem of the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Salem witch trials, that's what happens. It's men wanting to kill women. And that's how they explained everything. So here's where that comes from. The transcendence of God is rejected on the grounds of God being this evil fire God who judges people. So the answer, polytheism with female deities is the solution to wars and violence. Now, this is really a white word. I hope you know enough about history to realize that when women ascended to absolute power, they were just as bad. Read about Bloody Mary, ruthlessly killing. Even the pagans with their Kali in India is this goddess, and she has human skulls for her necklace because she likes to kill people. It's just all a big lie. It's a big whitewash. It's not based on what really is or what really happened or what history is all about. History shows us the creation of God's, in God's image, but the fall, and so therefore we see war and evil. 
Ecofeminism says male-dominated religion is blamed for environmental destruction. And as I was reading some of this and rereading it for this class tonight, they were saying if we could just have consciousness that we are the environment, then we would just be taking care of ourselves when we take care of the environment. And we don't want to be human beings created in God's image. We just want to be part of the big whole Gaia and just experience that. Let me quote another one. This again from my paper. Michael Dowd, he says this. It's important to note here that at no point in time during the past four and a half billion years, the age of our solar system, did anyone come from the outside and put anything on the planet? God is the inner dynamic guiding the process, the living reality revealed through creation. So what does that mean? This means there's no external transcendent deity to speak to us or to judge us. So how do we know what we're supposed to do? I wrote in my paper, Dowd's idea is that we are the consciousness of the earth. Let me quote Dowd again. The human person, he says, is the sum total of 15 billion years of unbroken evolution now thinking about itself. <laughs> so all I am is evolution thinking about itself. Look at the degraded view of, of, of humans compared to the biblical view. There's no ground in any of this to protect human life. Here's Matthew Fox. I have his book here, which I've read, The Coming of the Cosmic Christ. Fox is fully panentheist, and he says he is. Matthew Fox, quote, I believe the appropriate symbol of the cosmic Christ who became incarnate in Jesus is that of Jesus as Mother Earth, crucified yet rising daily. Why do I believe this? First, because Mother Earth is being crucified in our time and is deeply wounded. And so every morning is the resurrection of the cosmic Christ. Polytheistic feminism has no ground for any ethic, including environmental one. There's no real teeth to any of this. There's no transcendent lawgiver. Life is dominated by lawlessness and the rule of the strong and ruthless. Why? Because there's no moral law. And now, rather than civil law that we used to have, we have lawlessness as our leaders just make up law like they're in a banana republic standing out on the balcony saying what the law for today is. Do you think we aren't sliding down into the pit? By rejecting a biblical worldview, there is no ground for the restraint of evil in any form. Societies influenced by biblical truth have historically cared about the environment, whereas pagan societies destroy it. Even to this day, that's true. It's the West, which they hate. Western civilization is the boogeyman hated by the neo-pagans. Ultimately, America is hated more than any other possible place. But these hated, horrible polluters are the ones with the clean air. How does that happen? What about these noble pagans in India and China and what have you? Pollution, dirty air, foul water, all of these things. This is baloney. This is a whitewash. This is a rewrite of reality. Don't listen to it. And if you hear politicians spouting this nonsense, vote against them. We've already got enough pagans running everything. They don't even understand what they're talking about. Global warming, what a delusion. Let me talk about that one. <laughs> Here's a book I can recommend. If, it, if they still publish it, I wrote an article about this. I met a fellow out at a think tank in Escondida, California, who was talking about this, is called Taken by Storm, the Troubled Science Policy and Politics of Global Warming. 
And this has been published and republished, written by two scientists from Canada. And it's absolutely brilliant. Let me give you a quick science lesson. Now, when I wrote this, I've got nasty letters from people. Uh, somebody was saying, well, you don't know anything about science. That's not true. It's, you know, what a, that's ridiculous to say that. Because I studied science in high school. I studied science at Iowa State University as a freshman, as a sophomore, and partial junior year before I became a Christian and switched to theology. I did differential calculus, the fluid dynamics that you need. I studied some of that. I studied quantum mechanics using our differential calculus. That was no fun. <laughs> Physics, chemistry, molecular level chemistry, and I worked with that stuff. So that's, uh, uh, that's ridiculous for people to say, well, unless you're a climate scientist, you don't even know any of this. They don't know any of this. What I know is they cannot predict climate. It's impossible. There's too many variables. You can't write equations for it. Now, let me give you a quick lesson. When I was uh, probably about 1970, I wrote a paper for a class that I had on engineering. And a concern was the combustion of hydrocarbons, in particular, coal. And in 1970, the issue that was grabbing everybody's attention was acid rain. Anybody old enough to remember that? Okay. How did acid rain happen? Well, dirty burning of coal is the production of oxides, and in the case of nitrogen and sulfur, these oxides get into the atmosphere, and when combined with water, you end up with sulfuric acid and nitric acid and caustic things that burn your lungs, deface buildings, and what have you. That's a legitimate problem. And in my paper, I wrote about the latest technology to be installed on these coal-burning plants to strip these things out so they wouldn't go into the atmosphere. And they were really quite successful at coming up with clean burning coal using that technology. Now, say the other problem was unburned hydrocarbons. And car technology got better. We don't have the SO2, NO2. Well, then you could have also nitrous and so on, all that stuff. It's way under control. Our air is cleaner than it was in 1970-something when I first moved up here. I used to smell the stench of air pollution down on Highway 94 and 280 when I drove through there on my way to church in 71. I don't smell that anymore. Of course, I don't smell anything, but <laughs> we don't have that same problem. Now, uh, catalytic converters got rid of a lot of the unburned hydrocarbons. Ah! Wicked people, and I don't blush to call Al Gore a wicked man, decided that they're not getting anywhere. All they're getting out of all this is clean air. Let's call carbon dioxide air pollution. And then, now we're in trouble because we can't burn anything. Carbon dioxide magically... When I was studying in 1969, 70, 71 at Iowa State, nobody said carbon dioxide was air pollution. A perfectly clean burn of a hydrocarbon like natural gas results in carbon dioxide and water. Always has, it always will. Now, carbon dioxide is not air pollution. Let me say that again. Carbon dioxide is not air pollution. Carbon dioxide is part of the creation of the world that we live in by God, along with oxygen and nitrogen and the other things that make up our atmosphere, that we need for the perfect balance that we have in the world. The plant life uses the carbon dioxide and gives us oxygen. We use the oxygen and exhale, exhale carbon dioxide. Now, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is measured in parts per million, all right? No one anywhere 
knows the perfect number in parts per million for carbon dioxide, so the climate will stay static. There is no such number, and there is no such knowledge. Is it supposed to be 290, 310, 400, 500, 450? What if we had a dial, a great big dial, carbon dioxide? We're going to set it somewhere so we won't have any more hurricanes. It would never work. Okay, now let me go on here. I'm charged up about this. I, I am so disgusted. I am so disgusted with the people who make the decisions are so stupid. They keep repeating this stuff. Why do we listen to them? Carbon dioxide is not air pollution. It'll make your garden greener and get that way faster. And they say they're green, but they don't want the, ox the gas in the air that's going to make things green. It's absurd. It's ungodly. It's wicked. So you have CO2 and water vapor. A little science lesson, quickly. What's a greenhouse like? Is anybody familiar with how greenhouses work? Now, you have a greenhouse, and what you're doing by putting up a greenhouse is cutting off the flow of the water vapor and the various things in the greenhouse into the outside air. And so in a greenhouse, you have an abundance of water vapor. Now, if you want to talk about greenhouse gases, the one thing that holds more heat and is more influential on the weather and the climate than anything else is water vapor. So why aren't our geniuses out there complaining about water vapor? Because they can't sell it to anybody. I remember sitting at Iowa State and we had a power plant there, and this was back when I was studying all this. And in the middle of the winter, this white smoke would come waffling across. And there were a bunch of student protesters protesting the pollution of the planet, standing there by this stream coming out of the power plant. So I went to class, and our chemical engineering professor says, do you know what that white smoke is? Water vapor. We have a very efficient power plant. I think they were burning natural gas. And it gives off water vapor. And when it's 10 degrees above or below zero, you see it in the air. And so here are these future engineers, or whoever they were, their science, protesting water vapor. And so if they were to really go after the culprit, they'd have to complain about water vapor, and then everybody see how stupid they are and wouldn't vote for them. Now, in a greenhouse, you have water vapor. Lots of it. Have you noticed that? You know what gets low in greenhouses? Carbon dioxide. Why? Because you have an artificial shutoff of the convection of the, of the water vapor and the other uh, components from getting out, plants absorb carbon dioxide. And the greenhouse, if it's very, very successful, lots of green growing plants, gets low on carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide is not a greenhouse gas. Sometimes they have to pump exhaust from propane heaters into the greenhouse to up the carbon dioxide level. So the whole thing is a lie. My dear brothers and sisters, are we going to keep listening to these lies? Carbon dioxide is a gas that greenhouses have less of than the rest of the atmosphere. Oh, we're putting greenhouse gases in the air. Oh, my goodness. I used to feel like the adults in the world knew what was going on and were trustworthy. I don't feel that anymore. Who's running? Who's in charge? Who knows what's going on? This is just flat out, simple, basic, sophomore at Iowa State science. Greenhouse gas? Well, yeah, if you wanted to talk about water vapor. Climate is exceedingly complex. In fact, um, Essex and McKintrick have a word they use called nations. Can't know. Here's the simple 
bottom line. You can read the book yourself. Otherwise, I'll give you the bottom line. The amount of variables are too many. You can't write an equation. Too many variables, not enough constants. A differential calculus equation, the answer to it is not a number, it's a function. Uh, very complex, but you can't even write an equation for climate. Way too complex. And the other thing is the Earth really isn't a totally closed system because you have the sun and you have radi radiation, you have heat, you have sunspots. You've got particles and aerosols in the air that reflect things back out in space or don't. Excuse me. The heat from the sun varies. Things flare up. We cannot know. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are wasted and flushed down the toilet about something we can do nothing about and we cannot know and we cannot control. And man will not admit that I'm just like a grasshopper on the earth other than God showed mercy to me. Join me in refusing to be deceived. It's impossible. It's unpredictable. I've got to keep going here. So the green agenda. What's the problem? Human beings. Unless you're one of the environmental elites, or today I heard on the news, I hear this every day, I don't know how not to get disgusted with it. The president wants to enlist the heirs of the billionaires, younger people that got the billions from somebody else, to solve real problems like global climate change. Well, how much money is going to make the climate different? The answer is, it doesn't matter. You can't. All the money in the whole world is not going to change the climate. How come I know that and they don't? The only difference is that the scripture has had its influence, and I, I think biblically. And I know enough science to realize that they're lying. Well, you might say, well, why all these climate scientists? They're brilliant, they're smart, they're smarter than you. Why are they going along with it? I can't say other than I agree with these guys. It's a religion, it's politics, it's money, but it's not science. Al Gore defines human industry as a war against the planet, a war on Mother Earth, launched by wicked, badly motivated Euro males. Well, what did we do to make a war on the Earth? Oh, we build houses and dig, you know, sewage systems and drill wells and fertilize our fields and spray the crops so that the insects don't destroy the crops so people can actually eat pull the thistles out, well, that's a war on the planet. Deep ecology, Ted Turner promotes this. It wants most humans to die so that a couple hundred thousand pagan elitists can live in balance with nature. They literally are proposing that. Who's going to die? Everybody that doesn't get with their elite agenda. Here's a website I found when doing research for this lecture tonight, green-agenda.com. There is a wealth of information about everything I'm talking about. Just flip through the different parts of that, and you'll really get an education about the issues. Now, let's go back to the spiritual practices. I was talking about science here. Uh, I'm not just shoehorning a whole bunch of stuff because I spent too much time in seminary. This is yesterday's paper. Yeah, Tuesday, April 22nd. All right. What's on the front? Meditation as medicine. Right? Minneapolis Star and Trib, Tuesday, April 22nd, 2014. So I'm reading the article. I know I've run into some of that when I've been getting medical treatment. So I read down to the salient part. Okay, what is this? I'm reading, reading, reading. What is this meditation? Okay, let me read. I'll read one paragraph. They call this mindfulness. Listen. In mindfulness-based meditation, a person sits in silence and observes the thoughts that pop up without engaging them. 
It also involves deep breathing and choosing to let go of any thoughts. This is no different than Fox or any of these other. Basically, Eckhart Tolle, I read his books, wrote about it. You want thought to stop while you're awake. This is what's the definition of an altered state of consciousness. In the silence, when your thoughts have stopped, that's when, according to Tolle, you become present. Anyhow, so in the silence, so how far do you have to go? You just read the star and trip. You go into the silence. That's your medicine. So, thank you, Eric. Ken Wilbur, the darling of the emergent church, was questioned about how hard it is to understand his philosophy. His answer, just meditate. You can cut through all of the trappings and get down to the bases, and all you got to do is meditate. And to meditate, you enter the silence, and when you get into the silence, you get in touch with the whole, the panentheistic goddess or whatever. Tolle prescribes this. That's Oprah Winfrey's guru. Doctors, I just read doctors prescribe this. Silence the mind, get into an altered state, being present, and so on. That's what's being taught. Now, the problem is all of this involves putting oneself under the judgment of God. Romans 1.28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Ah, dikaios, it means disapproved, to do those things which are not proper. Refusal, excuse me, adokimos is how you pronounce that. God gives them over to a disapproved mind. Literally in the Greek, it says they disapprove of God, dokimazo, and God gives them over adikimos with an alpha primitive. All right, you don't want to approve of me, I reject you. That's what God says. You don't want to hear. You don't want to be human. You don't want to be rational. You don't want to learn anything. You don't want any moral law. You don't want there to be a God in heaven, especially if he sent a male son to earth, and that's offensive to us, who created humans in his image. That offends us. Gave them dominion over the rest of the creation, that offends us, and spoke, that offends us, and promised us future judgment, that offends us. All right, so we have a choice. Do we want to be pagan, or do we want to be Christian? Think that one over. What's our answer? Some might say, well, it's hopeless. We better pretend to be pagan. Maybe they'll listen a little bit. That's what Rick Warren does. He writes this book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it sounds like he's a pagan and a New Ager. But then when you question him, oh, no, no, I'm not a pagan and a New Ager, I'm a Christian. I was just saying that so they'd like me. <laughs> Quoting these people. We don't have to pretend anything. People are so far gone into this neo paganism and this panentheism and so on, eco feminism, they need a jolt of reality. They need the gospel, just like me, knock me up alongside the head when I had walked away from any kind of God. And it was science that brought me to know there was a God, a creator. So what do we do? We preach the gospel. Paul says, so for my part, I'm eager to preach to the, the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We must be gospel preachers and Bible teachers. Dear beloved saints, the time is far gone, if it ever was, that we can think that people sort of have a Christian idea because of Bibles and whatever, and they live in a Christian country. That is totally gone. No. We do not live in a Christian country. We don't sort of have Christian ideas. Our leaders are pagans. The writers in the editorial page are pagan. The people that take care of us at the hospital are pagan. We live in a way that we're surrounded by pagans. They may be dressed up a little nicer, but they're no different 
than the pagans in some tribal area. But there's no restraint. When there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. There's no word from God. So we preach the gospel, we teach, we teach the word, and so at least we can have, as a fellowship and as friends of the fellowship, we can be reinforced in a Christian worldview day by day and week by week. We're not going to think like everybody else because we believe that God has spoken. Now here's my last slide to Timothy 4, 2, and 3. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when it will not endure sound doctrine. Look at that. So much for seeker sensitive. Well, let's go around and do a survey of the neighborhood and find out what they want in church. Well, we don't want sound doctrine. <laughs> well, what do you do when they don't want sound doctrine? Preach the word. <laughs> Teach sound doctrine anyhow. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate it for themselves, teachers in accordance with their own desires. Frankly, this stuff is shocking. Here, Matthew Fox, the coming of the cosmic Christ, influential book. It's so bad. There's things in here that I wouldn't quote because it would make us blush. It's so bad. It's so blasphemous. And I've done a lot of writing, a lot of research, and I, I feel good about making a contribution in some regard. But none of this is overblown. This is the world we live in. And I love to preach the word. And I love to, to, it really was great in seminary. I could sit there and deal with this stuff in its own right, and people were there to believe it, and bring out the biblical worldview right then and there with people that could shoot me down if they could. I, I love doing that. I don't know if it's good or bad that I love it so much, but I do. I love going into the battle, the battle of ideas, because I know the truth will prevail. And I pray that God equips you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear that which is hidden because of reprobation and spiritual darkness. Help us to see what's going on, and like Timothy, when they don't want to hear sound doctrine, the answer is preach the word. Help us do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and thank you. <coughs> I will take questions. We got, I don't know how soon they come and drag us out of here. <laughs>